When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Back to your Friday Buckeye Talk preview at Ohio State, Michigan State. We have Matt Wenzel from M Live, Michigan State beat writer, who's going to be on in the middle of the podcast. We have a good 30 minute discussion asking the same questions about the Buckeyes and Spartans, and then Matt and Nathan and Steven going back and forth on that. At the end, we'll get to our picks. As always, it's Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Steven Means. We'll start off by anything we learned on Thursday from Ryan Day. Steven, a little bit of, or who? Steven was on the radio show. Nathan was on the lightning round because Nathan was also working on something else. Who had the Heisman talk? Where was that question for CJ? Kind of both a little bit, but the the, the, the quote you're worried about is the, the production speaks for itself. And um, I can't remember which one that was, but yeah, to the, yeah, that's the first inkling of Ryan Day campaigning for his quarterback to win the Heisman. Like it, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves, right? Just that I'm almost interested in, in like how he chooses to talk and not talk about it. And he will talk about it. Like if they play the big 10 championship game, then he'll talk about it because people are doing last minute ballots and that kind of thing. I'll be curious how much he talks about it before that uh, pass defense, right? He said Ohio state's pass defense is getting a little better. Is that is, Do we believe that? Do we think he actually thinks that? And I guess what's the comparison? of that it's like compared to Tulsa it's better but like is it has it been a gradual uh increase a gradual improvement in the last several weeks it's hard for me and I've been saying this for weeks so I if I sound like a broken record it's just hard for me to contextualize how good the defense has been when they've played so many teams that can't run the ball like I feel like your how good your past defense is is a little bit affected by how well the other team can do both things. And Michigan State, for whatever flaws people think they might have on the defensive side of the ball, on the offensive side of the ball, I think they can do both. We know what Kenneth Walker can do. And even if this quarterback is not at a C.J. Stroud level, I think he's probably in that ballpark of all these other quarterbacks in the Big Ten that we think are adequate, you know, at worst. You know, the Sean Cliffords, the Aiden O'Connells. I think he's in that neighborhood and has some receivers – at the back end that he can hit if uh, if a team is overcompensating to the run. So I, I feel like we can, you know, what they did against Purdue last week tells me nothing about how they'll do against Michigan State almost. You know what I mean? Kind of to that point, I mean, they're second to last in the Big Ten in passing yards per game, but I don't know what that means because them and Michigan State are both, you know, giving up 6.9 yards per attempt, and that matters more to me because what that tells me is, as the stats show, 
teams are throwing the ball 37.9 times against Ohio State, and they're throwing it 47.9 times against Michigan State. So it's a as Nathan said, it's a combination of the teams they play can't run the ball, so they just throw it a bunch. But then also, as part of the Purdue situation was, they got up by so many points that Purdue couldn't do anything but throw the ball, which kind of throws off the numbers. So I don't – the numbers are not necessarily a good indication of how good these two pass defenses are, but they're not totally off. There are metrics out there that suggest Ohio State's defense is not that bad. I, I probably should say it even stronger than that. You know what I mean? That they're mm-hmm. a a top. I mean, even football outsiders. I'm looking at it right now. I think like they top have twenty five, top thirty, right? Top uh, yeah, top thirty, top forty, maybe. But we've talked about before that that's where some other really great teams have lived in and then gone on and win national championships. You know what I mean? Like LSU 2019, even Alabama last year. I don't think those were like elite defenses. But as long as you can combine it with an elite offense, that's probably yeah. a neighborhood you can live in and be safe. Probably. But I'm, I'm just, I, I still think we don't know the full picture yet of what this Ohio state defense is because it just has not been challenged by a team that can run the ball in two months. That seems like such a weird thing to say when you're playing a big 10 schedule, but I mean, Penn state was not a good rushing team. Purdue was the worst rushing team in the country, Maryland, yeah. Rutgers, Indiana. Right, that, we're, we're, we're getting into some territory that we've covered with Matt. So is, is there anything specific that Ryan day said on Thursday that matters that people need to know before we get into this bigger picture discussion? Just that they don't practice in pads on Wednesdays in favor of keeping guys healthy, which, I mean, that just means it's one less day they're tackling, and we'll see if that's actually going to have a long-term impact here since they're playing Kenneth Walker, um, or if it's just more beneficial because it's going to keep guys like Travion healthy. That makes sense. Let me do this. with We asked this texter question before we get to, at the end of the pod, our actual picks. I'm I'm just trying to get a vibe on, because we asked the texters, you know, are you taking the points? Are you giving the points? But that's not exactly the same thing as, do you think it's going to be a game? Cause I think you could say like, well, I would give the points. I'm going to, I'm going to take Ohio state minus 19, but I definitely see a way where Michigan state could win. Like I think, I think you could be an Ohio state fan who could think that way. So I asked this question, what is the chance that Michigan state beats Ohio state? And as always, I'd like to see where people are on the far ends of things. Almost no chance. Ohio State has lots more talent. That was the most dismissive of it. Like super confident Ohio State fan. A slight chance that Michigan State could win if the Spartans play great. Some chance, because I'm still not certain about a few things with Ohio State. And a real chance. It's a top 10 matchup and Michigan State seems tough. So no chance, slight chance, some chance, real chance. Nathan, what would you have voted there? I would probably vote some chance. So the third most, like the third, not the easiest, not the second easiest, the third most, not all the way that like, hey, 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 but like that's that's pretty real. Steven, what would you have voted? Slight chance, because I just think it's more about Michigan State's got to be almost perfect. Yeah. The texters said slight. So the texters agree with Steven. Second place was some chance so it's like the second choice the third choice 52 percent slight 27 percent sum so that 79 percent of people are in the middle so we have the two edges nathan what do you think got more with the remaining 21 percent what got more 
no chance or a real chance? Probably no chance just because people watched what Ohio State just did to Purdue, which is a team that beat Michigan State. Transitive property is fair. Steven, what do you think? No chance or real chance got more? Yeah, no chance. They think the offense is back, so it doesn't. And nothing matters anymore again. No chance. Correctly, you guys are right. 12% no chance, 10% real chance. So that's at least one in 10 Ohio State fans who are like, no, this is a, this is a game. It is a... Again, as we'll get into with our picks, man, this team week to week, if it's more like the Nebraska game, then there's a real chance because Michigan State, I think, is substantially more competent than Nebraska, especially from a coaching standpoint, because I don't think Michigan State's going to fire an, an entire side of its coaching staff on Sunday the way Nebraska did after this game. But if it's like Purdue stuff, and then that even if that's like the Ohio State defense giving up a little bit, like there's just there's just no way that Michigan State can keep up with that. So if that's what it is, then off to the races and away we go. So let's dive into this breakdown with Matt Wenzel. It's a good half an hour back and forth about these two teams, and then we'll come back and do our picks after that. But first up, Matt Wenzel of M Live, M Live, excuse me, joins us on Buckeye Talk. All right, welcome everybody to this crossover part of the pod between Spartan Confidential and Buckeye Talk. I'm Doug Maurice from Buckeye Talk with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means from Buckeye Talk and Matt Wenzel from Spartan Confidential. We're going to go back and forth talking about Michigan State and Ohio State, what they do best, some surprise things, things to look out for in this football game. Um, Nathan and Stephen will split the load for Ohio State and Matt will carry the load for Michigan State. So let's start with this. Matt Wenzel, who is the most important player in this game for the Spartans? Well, I mean, I think everybody's going to think of Kenneth Walker III. Um, he's Heisman candidate for a reason. Uh, but I think, you know, with him, if he's not getting it done, then I don't think Michigan State has a chance. So I would go beyond that and say uh, quarterback Peyton Thorne. Because if you look at it, I mean, I guess Ohio, Ohio State's defense has obviously been a little better recently than earlier in the season, at least it looks like. But, you know, Thorne. But against the past, that seems where they're, they're more susceptible um, numbers-wise. And, you know, Thorne's been really efficient this year. He's completing 63% of his passes for 246 yards a game, 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Um, he's really, you know, they have an explosive offense. that We've seen that in the passing game, which they lacked in recent years. They're down one of their top two wide receivers in Jalen Naylor, who's missed uh, the last two games. And obviously, we don't know if he's going to be able to play on Saturday. But I think I think Thorne is where it starts because if, if – if Walker's getting what he should get, then that opens obviously opens up the pass a little bit more for them. It's not to give away the goods, but we're recording this midweek on Wednesday. Is there a chance Naylor plays? If, if you can get injury news out of Mel Tucker, good because <laughs> he gives out and he mean he said it multiple times and he flat out said, said last week he was confronted with, you know, what do you what do you tell us what if you have a season ending injury? And he again just said, Look, I'm not my my goal is to give you give out as little information as possible to help the opponents. He was not, you know, he makes it very clear. His go-to answer is guys are sore and they'll be ready when they're ready. That's his standard response. Cool. Well, you adopted that very well, Matt. So <laughs> we have, he didn't answer. We have no idea to that answer. That seems like a big deal. If Jalen Naylor would be available though, to have that two right yeah. receivers that would challenge this Ohio state defense. Uh, Nathan, who's the most important player for Ohio state in this game? 
Well, sort of keeping on the, the Kenneth Walker the third theme, I'm going to say Steel Chambers. The first two games of this year, Ohio State did not stop the run well. Muhammad Ibrahim had a big game for Minnesota before he uh, sustained his season-ending injury. Uh, Oregon ran for 260-some yards in the second game, the game where they beat Ohio State at Ohio Stadium. And linebacker execution, linebacker discipline, linebacker athleticism, all of those things were lacking from the defense at that time. And Steel Chambers, who was a running back as recently as like July, has very surprisingly brought all of those things to the linebacker core, to the Ohio State defense. We think the Ohio State defense has improved. We've seen it improve steadily over the course of the year. And part of that has been figuring out a, a better baseline of personnel, making some other scheme changes. But part of it is just finding guys who play better. And Steel Chambers has been the guy who has played the most consistently from the linebacker group. So obviously stopping Kenneth Walker the third is not all about what happens at the second level because if you're you know if you're not having success up front against Michigan State and making it tough for him there, then you've lost half the battle. But I think it's going to be important for more stability at the second level from Ohio State than what they showed against the teams very, very early this year that ran the ball so well, who they haven't played a team anything like that for the last two months. They've got to show that um, they have passed that challenge when it comes again, because it's not the last time they're going to see it as they keep trying to progress towards a playoff berth. So I, I want to save some of this conversation because there's more I want to get into about Kenneth Walker the third in this matchup against Ohio State's defense. So let's move on to the next question. Stephen, we'll start with you. Who's an under-the-radar player for Ohio State who could make a real difference on Saturday? I don't know if you can call Chris Olave a Belitnikov semifinalist an under-the-radar player. No. But he's – You mean no, the, you great, can. The, great, the greatest receiver <laughs> in Ohio State history? Chris Olave. Right. No way is he an under-the-radar player. What, what do you think – what do you think the definition of under-the-radar is? Like, Except – if someone were running radar about like flights in the Columbus area, Chris Olave would be below that because he's a human right. being who walks on the ground. Right. Except for the last two weeks, we've seen the other wide, we've seen Garrett Wilson and, and Jack suspect the Jigma just kind of have the day while he's kind of in the background here. He hasn't had a hundred yard game since Maryland. And it just feels like even last week he had nine catches for 85 yards, but a lot of that felt forced. I think he had like 16 uh, uh, targets in, to get those nine catches, and it just felt forced. And it doesn't feel like he's been a – the deep ball hasn't been a staple in the offense, right, all season, basically because everybody's tried to take it away. Is this the game where, you know, that kind of unlocks itself and it's kind of just Chris Olave's turn and this wheel of which receiver is going to go off next? Is this his opportunity where we see that? All right, Matt, Michigan State, who's an under-the-radar under the guy? Well, I'm going to stick with the theme that Steven had and, and go with wide receiver. You know, go back to Naylor being, I mean, probably out. I don't know. He's got a, what appears to be a right hand injury. So I'm going to say, obviously, we know Jaden Reed is capable of, and he's their top receiver. Uh, but I'm going to go with a, a double uh, answer with Trey Mosley and Montori Foster. Mosley's been their third guy all year. He's been, he fits the kind of the mold of under the radar, but, you know, really solid 28 catches, 417 yards, two touchdowns. And, you know, he's, I think his role has increased since Naylor's been out. And then the same with Montori Foster, who's a guy, I don't know if you guys remember, but he's a St. Ed guy from Cleveland. He was a basketball prospect and, you know, really interesting stuff. He hadn't played organized football since like sixth grade. Um, and then before his senior year, he's like, all right, you know, give this football thing a shot. And you know, next thing he knows, you know, he's at Michigan state. So he had his uh, first career touchdown catch last week on uh, uh, against Maryland on a flea flicker. 
Uh, if you've seen Michigan State this year, that has been a staple of their offense. They've used it five times and have four touchdowns, which is something. Um, but Foster's a speed guy, you know, really, and with his hoops background, um, got great leaping ability. So I would go with uh, one of those two uh, to compliment Jaden Reed because with Naylor out, the, the passing attack, as much as they say they got you know the next man up stuff, they don't have anybody that can really match his speed and really, I mean, his, his veteran presence, you know, and his ability to block and all that stuff. On alert for flea flickers. That's, uh, that's I would be <laughs> five in a season is a lot. That's really interesting. All right, that's let's the get second week in a row that that they're playing a team that is kind of known for mixing that stuff in. And yeah. Purdue didn't do it a lot. Purdue well, they ran really their, the chance the fake. It. Purdue ran yeah. the fake flea flicker, which I don't know if I've ever seen that before. They ran one of those against Michigan State on a double reverse flea flicker screen pass. I think it was, and it was it yep. was one of those, and it took like three hours for the play to be over, but they scored on it. And it was uh, one of those, you know, one of those days for Michigan state. Wow. All right. We are all on alert. Then uh, let's talk about Kenneth Walker, the third, a little bit more, Nathan, you, you sort of got into this a decent amount with the steel chambers discussion, but why might Ohio state have trouble with this guy? What, what is it about? Not just that Kenneth Walker, the third is good, but that why it might be a tough matchup for the Ohio state defense. Well, we just don't know that these guys are very good run stoppers, partially because they haven't had to face a team that runs the ball. I mean, go back through everybody that they've played since the Oregon game. You know, Tulsa, pass-heavy team. Akron's just doesn't matter. And and everybody they've played in the Big Ten, with the exception of Nebraska, ranks in the bottom half of the Big Ten in, in yards per attempt. And Nebraska is a run game led by the quarterback. So we have not seen Ohio State have to stop, have to answer the thing that Oregon killed them with. And so that's, I guess, still just my, it's not necessarily that I think Ohio state doesn't have that. I've seen that Ohio state doesn't have the personnel or the scheme now to stop that, but they just have not, we haven't seen it in practice. They haven't had to go do it yet. I, I do still have, I guess, some concern about just the linebacker group in general that steel chambers has been a nice surprise this year. And that Cody Simon has come along and been a little bit more stable They've got some other guys who are veterans who play in behind that, but it's not like the level of play there has been consistently excellent. And you still have questions about safety play over the top of everything. And that's where Oregon was burning him too. That if something does break down, sometimes they're getting caught flat footed in the back and guys are breaking big plays on them. So there's just a lot of combinations in there. Ohio state may have the people in place to solve all those things, but we just haven't had to see them do it now. And it's been two months. Again, crossover between Buckeye Talk and Spartan Confidential here, doing this for both audiences. Matt, Kenneth Walker III had a special game against Michigan, right? I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. Statistically, there have been other games this year where he's carried the load a lot, but, you know, has not averaged nine yards per carry or something. What What is this guy? Where is he on the special meter? How, how good of a back? He's good. But what's the context of how good this guy is? I mean, when when he committed, in, you know, out of the transfer portal, I looked at his tape, and Michigan State played Wake Forest in the Pinstripe Bowl in 2019. I remember being there. I don't, I didn't remember uh, Kenneth as a true freshman then. But I, you know, when he committed, I looked at his tape. I'm like, all right, this guy's pretty good. You know, he's got something. But I think what the difference is is. You know, Wake Forest runs that that really delayed mesh point. You know, if you've seen them, it, it you know, it's just different. And now when he's getting the ball and, and quickly and not having to wait, you know, he'd use, be able to use his vision 
which I think playing in that old offense kind of developed because of the time that it takes before he gets the ball. Um, I mean, he just got the combination of, of his vision, his cutting ability, um, speed, the ability to run with power. I mean, he's a guy that when he showed up in January, they were instantly talking about him setting room uh, records in the weight room. Um, he's just, <laughs> he's, he's got a little bit of everything. They haven't used him a ton in the passing attack. We've seen that a little bit, creep up a little bit last week um, with, with Naylor being out, but um, he's just a tough guy to take down. Peyton Thorne was asked about him the other day and he said he's the best player he's ever seen with two eyes. Mel Tucker was asked about him on ESPN last night and he said he's just about the most talented guy he's ever been around. And I mean, I know you want to praise your players, but you know, Mel's been doing this for 25 years and he worked in you know, a decade in the NFL, been on two national championship staff. So Walker's really special talent. Michigan State hasn't anybody at, like that at running back. Probably nobody at all like that in, in quite a while. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, you can't, it's hard to overstate uh, the difference that he's made for them this year. I mean, remember, this is a team that, that averaged 91 yards rushing last year. They had zero touchdowns from their running backs last year. It was the worst rushing offense in, in program history. And now you got a, you got a Heisman, you plucked a Heisman candidate out of the portal and you have him in your backfield. So yeah, I mean, he's just, He's, he's a hell of a player and, and he's a nice kid. You know, he constantly, you ask him about himself, you know, what he's doing, yada, yada. It's credit to the offensive line, credit to his teammates, yada, yada. So nice kid, really talented. That's compelling. 91, I did the 91 rushing yards per game last year and now doing what he's doing. That is a transformation. 91.4. Sorry, I should. Oh, well, I, I got to include that to. <laughs> God, I mean, they, couldn't, they absolutely could not run the ball to save their life last year. I can't get over the no, no rushing touchdowns last year. Now you have a Heisman Trophy candidate at running back. That's, That's wild. Just... <laughs> well, they, they're tight. Uh, Thorne had one rushing touchdown, and uh, their tight end, who was a former walk-on punter, had their other rushing touchdown last year on a jet sweep <laughs> at Iowa. What a year last year was for the Michigan State Spartans. Uh, I do, can, I, can I follow up, Matt, real quick, just about – how good is the Michigan State offensive line? What's the level it's playing at in conjunction with what Walker's doing? Um, it's it's better. Um, this is a line that had been, quite frankly, not really good in in recent years. Um, and you know, a little explain it. They had a for the eighteen and nineteen seasons. They just they couldn't keep guys healthy. It was a different combination every week, and it, and it quite it really wasn't any good. Struggling getting a push. They brought in. Jarrett Horse as a as a portal guy from Arkansas State starting at left tackle and they and so that, that allowed him to rework things and basically they they struggled having a true left tackle um, and they were kind of using guys out of position they had a lot of like more guard bodies so getting it Horst in allowed Kevin Jarvis who was really a guard natural guard but he's played both tackle spots allowed him to move back inside they took last year's left tackle AJR Curry moved him to right tackle but was really interesting through the first seven games they used nine primary guys up front, basically two different, for the most part, two different rotations that just had Jarvis in at right guard. And then he'd kick out to right tackle with the second group. Um, but Horst has missed the last two games. Um, he's been out for what Tucker said is a medical reason. Their backup right guard, Matt Carrick has missed the last three games. And according to his tweet uh, last week, he is done for the season with a right leg injury. So that, that has altered their, their look up front, but you know, again, it's to try and boil it down. They've been better, but I think, if you watch the Michigan game, you saw where some of that weakness is. Granted, that was against, you know, on the left side against Aiden Hutchinson and, and uh, David Ajabo, who are two of the best edge rushers in the nation. But they've been better. Um, 
not it's not some sort of elite 1990s Dallas Cowboys offensive line though. Mel, they'll they'll give some, create some holes for for Walker, um, but he can get a lot of the yards uh, on his own using his own talent. Okay, let's talk about the matchup then between sort of what Ohio State does best with its three receivers in the passing game and the Michigan State pass defense. Matt, we'll start with you again. Like, what can Michigan State handle this Ohio State passing offense? What's the Spartans' pass defense been like this year? Not great, right? Uh, yeah, not great would be a way to put it. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they, they rank dead last in the nation in, in yards per game, passing yards per game allowed. They're in the 50s in efficiency, pass efficiency de- defense. So they'll try to tell you that the numbers, if you really look, start boiling down beyond the yards per game, they're not as bad. But, I mean, we'll sit there and watch them. They, they have obviously struggled against, you know, teams that have good passing attacks. I mean, Western Kentucky, I think Western Kentucky throw the ball around on anyone. Um but they've, you know, um, Cade McNamara had his best game of his career. Um, he would have been the story of the game if it wasn't for, for Michigan State's comeback. He had a great game. Then they go to Purdue and O'Connell just torches him for 536. So they, it's really, I, I mean, their safety play has been, been more consistent than their corner play. They rebuilt that corner in the offseason, basically starting from scratch. They had really one guy that was a holdover and he entered the portal after the fourth game. So, their top four corners now are three transfers from the offseason in Ronald Williams from Alabama, Chester Kimbrough from Florida, and Marquis Lowry from Louisville, along with true freshman Charles Brantley. Um, and to make things more difficult, Lowry's been dealing with, uh, I think, a leg injury, whatever injury that's kept him out of a few games. Um, Ronald Williams and uh, Chester Kimbrough, I'm sorry, Charles Brantley both played hurt against Purdue, according to safety Xavier Henderson, and Brantley didn't even dress for last week's game. So, um, yeah, it's, they've got some issues, so they've kind of tried to give space and, and avoid giving up the big play. And that's led to, it was kind of the, the bend don't break type of thing early in the season. And it worked at times because they allow, you know, Western Kentucky, Indiana, Michigan, they're forcing field goal attempts instead of giving up touchdowns. And, you know, that made the difference. Um, Purdue, they just gave too many points. So I think it is a, a, a huge concern for them um, going into Saturday. And I think that's a big reason why you see Ohio State as a 19-point favorite. So the bad news is that Michigan's pass defense is not very good. But the good news is everybody who's part of it is injured. So More, more or less, yeah. Um, to their credit, um, they have had corners come up with big plays at key times. So the uh, the Nebraska overtime game uh, – uh, Kimbrough had a, an interception in the first uh, half of the first portion of overtime. And, you know, that basically seals the game. He had a strip sack uh, late in the fourth quarter against Indiana. Ronald Williams had a pick against uh, Miami in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm forgetting another play out there, but they, they have made some key plays and they just, they've just given up too many yards. Listen, man, they're the top 10. I mean, like whatever, yeah. whatever they're doing, it's just, it's not, uh, God, what was the, it's not, not, not the no fly zone. Right. No, they like to use that term still. I think that should be retired. This isn't, you know, <laughs> that, 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 this isn't that version of Mark D'Antonio's team where he got all Americans on the corners. And, you know, if you look at it, if, if look at their coaching staff, if they can't fix, I mean, they have the guys to fix it. Mel Tucker's a DB by trade, a DB's a secondary coach by trade. Harlan Barnett's their secondary coach. He's been there forever. Their corners coach is Travis Tillman. He played in the NFL for, for a long time. I mean, they have the guys there. I think it's still trying to fit scheme with personnel when your primary guys didn't show up till the summer and half of them or two thirds of them or all of them or whatever it is are hurt. So Steven, we see how what Kenneth Walker, the third does well offensively might be tough for this Ohio state defense to handle. When you hear the Michigan state pass defense talked about like that, 
What do you think this Ohio State passing game might do against a pass defense like that with the, with the way that passing offense has been operating lately? Yeah, it's funny. The two best teams in the Big Ten have the two worst passing defenses in the Big Ten by a wild margin. I think there's a chance CJ might have a similar day to what we saw last week where he's uber efficient and all three of those guys are involved because it's three of them. They kind of operate in their own areas. Obviously, Chris Olave is the deep ball guy. Garrett Wilson is maybe more of the medium, the intermediate guy. And then obviously you got Jack Smith, the jig band, the slot, working those you know, short, shorter routes. And so I just – this looks like a day where both sides of the ball, it just might get explosive in the passing game, especially for Ohio State because Ryan Day wants to throw the ball – Whenever, however, into whoever, and CJ Stroud, obviously, every single week, we've shown we he's shown us how much he's improved and how much he's developed. So this might just be, as CJ continues to make his Heisman case, another you know I don't know twenty five of thirty day or something like that. Mel Tucker coming in here, Cleveland native, former Ohio State assistant, former Cleveland Browns assistant. Is how does that factor into this game at, at all, Matt? Do do you think? Mel Tucker is trying to rally anything around, hey, let's go down there and not win one for me, but is is that part of it? Or, and whether that's part of it or not, what is your read on Mel Tucker and trying to get his team ready to come in here and try to win this game? Uh, the read would be Mel's going to motivate the hell out of his team and use everything he's got. He's just not going to let you know about it. You know, you, you see his – Emotion on the videos, you know, the in-house production team will shoot at him in the locker room after the game. But he's not going to give you that in the press conference. He's not going to go fire and brimstone and talk about any of that stuff. He, he, has his, he has the ways to push buttons with his team. When he wants to make a point, he'll make it. Like randomly on Monday, he talked about dressing extra guys for the game and during a TV timeout and looking over and seeing guys sitting on the bench because they're cold to take their names down. And, you know, basically, if you're not – if you're not out here up and, and helping your team, go to the locker room, go sit in the student section, do whatever, because you shouldn't be out here. So, I mean, the Ohio State tie is obviously interesting, and he has um, constant praise for Jim Trestle. Always talks about servant leadership and everything he learned from Jim, and, and the connections there, obviously, with being on the staff at the same time as Mark and, and all that. But, I mean, to get to your point, he's just, he's just making it work with this team. I mean, nobody obviously nobody saw this coming this year, um, and he's just – Whatever he's doing behind the scenes is working. You know, he knows how to motivate his guys and, and, and get them up for games. And, and yeah, I mean, this will be, that'll be the case Saturday. They know what's at stake and, and, and he'll lay it all out there for him. Um, and, and we'll see. We, we've seen Michigan state be a thorn in Ohio state side in the past with a former Ohio state assistant as the head coach, Nathan, you've been working on a Mel Tucker story this week, talking to a lot of people about Mel from talking to those people, what's your read on how you think Mel Tucker has gotten to this place in his career and might handle a game like this? Well, one of the things that keeps coming up is what Matt just talked about, which is just sort of him as a motivator, him as a guy who has a personality that connects with players and is is genuine and that they respect and that makes them want to go out and, and get better. He, you know, he, he pushes them to be better, holds them accountable, but yet that they still, um, that there's enough behind there that it's not like they're being, it's not like he's a taskmaster. You know what I mean? Like there's a respect that they come out of that relationship with. Um, I was talking to Kirby smart today, the Georgia coach, he was obviously the defensive coordinator at Georgia. And he was talking about just, 
what a great teacher he was and that especially early on in smart's career when he was like a first time head coach um, or a very young head coach and having tucker as like this veteran guy i mean he's new to the big 10 it seems like he's made this big turnaround at michigan state but he's been doing this for a long time as matt said like you know been part of championship programs at, at different levels and that his his stability was big for starting what smart eventually got going at Georgia, what you see paying off this year at Georgia and then Nick Saban uh, from Alabama, kind of the same way that, that his best attribute is just that players want to play for him. And I think that you've seen that pay off in how they, how they've turned this around so quickly at Michigan state where last year they seemed like, you know, very much a rebuilding situation that we all kind of thought would extend into this year. The, the, the big 10 poll we do of 30 some people picked Michigan state to finish last in the East. And here they are in the top 10 with two weeks to go. So, and, and a chance still to win the East if they were to beat Ohio state and, and take care of business. So his personality and his demeanor are things that I think are tangible in the team that they've been putting on the field. I think as far as sustaining it though, at some point you you have to recruit at the level that that where you could sustain this for year after year over year, and that's what's still they're very much the ground floor of. I don't think this the transfer thing in mass probably works year after year. There, funny you mentioned the the recruiting and being persistent. Mel Mel loves to tell a story about how he was uh, before he got really into coaching, he was selling steaks out of his trunk and yeah. he made people tell him no like seven times or whatever. And he one time, lady said she didn't have any room in his in her freezer so he like purchased the food out of her freezer to create space for her to buy steaks to put them in there so he put her freezer food in the transfer portal and put his yes, steaks. that's a good way to put it <laughs> jim trestle mentions that steak selling story every time you ask him about mel tucker that's like his go-to mel tucker anecdote that that's why he hired him to come recruit Cleveland for him was because he had heard that story about him selling because, Hey, you know, that, that meat's going to spoil. So you, you got to be able to sell it fast. It's a good story. <laughs> I, I like steak. All right, let's get down to the game, Matt. What does a Michigan state win look like on Saturday? What would, what are the things that would have to happen if the Spartans are going to do this? Um, well, it starts with Kenneth Walker being Kenneth Walker. I mean, he's got to have another big game and you know, it's a, it's a heck of an opportunity for him on a national stage. He already made his big Heisman push against Michigan when everybody's watching is another chance. Um, so he's got to have a big day. Thorns, like I mentioned him, is, is the player they need. He's got he's to be efficient, can't turn over the ball. And then, you know, it's a tip, some of the tip, uh, typical things, you know, win the turnovers, can't commit the same stupid mistakes they've been making all season with some of these penalties and special teams and, and things like that. And then um, defensively, just find some way to not give up 500 yards passing and, and five touchdowns or whatever it is. So they, they got to clean something up in the secondary, be opportunistic on defense. Like we've seen from them at times where, you know, the team's driving, it looks like seven's going on the board any second. The next thing you know, you're going the other way. They had that last week, Maryland looked like they were driving in. I think it would have made it a one score game in the third quarter and their uh, linebacker picks off um, tongue of Iloa at the goal line and that's you know big play in the game they go down and score they need stuff like that they need every break they can get um to be able to come out of there with a win just nathan that part of it the peyton thorn part of it that obviously kenneth walker's where it starts but that again the teams that ohio state has faced they haven't faced a run offense like this but they've also faced sort of like a lot of imbalanced teams that can, can you see how thorn would have a chance to get something going that again if it's a cohesive offensive effort by michigan state 
Well, again, yeah, because you have to respect the run game so much more against this opponent than Ohio State's had to in weeks. And Matt points out, you know, statistically where Michigan State is last in terms of yardage allowed. But when you look at yards per attempt allowed, when you look at opposing quarterback rating, it's essentially the same defense as Ohio State. The performance is almost identical, except Michigan State throws the Michigan State opponents throw the ball about 10 times a game more on average. So if you take that 60 or 70 yards and put it on top of what Ohio State's given up, they beat down there at the bottom of the nation in yards allowed given up. So that's where I, when I look at how this would be a Michigan state win, I think we've kind of already seen it. We saw it with Oregon a little bit. Like if Ohio state can't contain the run game, if they're giving up long gashes in the run game, breakaway plays in the run game. And then on top of that, by being able to having to overcompensate for that, Michigan has Michigan state has an efficient passing day on top of that and is able to take advantage of some talent that they have at receiver and, and put pressure on both parts of this Ohio state defense in a way that no one has in two months. I think that's when it starts to become a problem. Um, it doesn't matter that Ohio state has a really high scoring offense because they're not getting the ball as much. And uh, the other team is putting up big points, which we just haven't seen in a while. The offense is the most important part of that though. Cause that's, you brought up Oregon. I mean, the defense didn't do its job, but also Ohio State only scored 28 points. We've talked about it at length, this idea that this defense can be terrible, but it doesn't matter because Ohio State's offense is going to give you 45 plus. If it reverts back to the what we saw against Nebraska, what we saw against Penn State, what we saw against Oregon, and this defense is allowing Michigan State to do whatever it wants. And yeah, Michigan State's probably going to win this game. But we could also just live in a world where Michigan State probably scores 30 points, but Ohio State's offense just does what it does. So, Stephen, when you think about what an Ohio State win would look like, does it just lean on Ohio State just scores so much it sort of doesn't matter what Kenneth Walker yeah. third does? Yeah, the offense is still the offense. It's 45 points. Kenneth Walker has a quality day, but it – and the defense gives up some stuff, but it does just enough. It gets enough key stops to where it holds a drive here. It holds a drive there. It keeps Kenneth Walker out of the end zone here. Or a, a run that Kenneth, it looks like he's going to run for 25 yards. Instead, he only gets 12 yards. And so now it kind of holds some momentum there. The defense does just enough to not get in the offense's way, which is basically the motto of the Ohio State 2021 season. Matt, do you think that's – is that a fear for Michigan State, that like the explosiveness of the Ohio State offense would just be like – no matter what Michigan State does offensively, they just can't keep up. Yeah, I mean, every that's what you know, Mel and and their defensive quarter Scotty Hazelton and safety Xavier Henderson were talking about this week is noting how explosive this is. Mel got asked specifically about the possibility of the game being a shootout, and that obviously didn't go over well for a defensive coach. He said just the term makes him want to vomit. So, but the possibility is certainly there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I agree with the point Stephen was making about what this game look, could look like for an Ohio State win. If, if Walker gets his or even if Ohio State somehow finds, you know, if they find a way to do what, you know, Indiana was able to do, Nebraska was able to do, which was slow him down and, and you know, make things really difficult for him. Um, you know, it could be a game where, you know, back-to-back three and out, you know, Michigan State might be putting up points, but two three and outs in a row in the third quarter, and all of a sudden the game's over because you're down by 21. So that's kind of along the lines of what I was thinking as well. All right, I think that's pretty comprehensive. We'll give everybody a last word if they want it. Nathan, with what we've heard today, what we've covered, what are your final thoughts as we get ready to head into this top 10 showdown in the shoe? I do think Ohio State is still vulnerable, even though I'm probably going to end up picking them to win this game and, and put up a decent amount of points. And I think something Matt alluded to is going to be crucial. Last week, Purdue gave up 
two fumbles that weren't even forced by Ohio State. They had that terrible punt that gave Ohio State a short field. If Michigan State's not playing a clean game and it's making mistakes like that, you're just giving Ohio State a game. So if they play a clean game, that's almost got to be the first thing before you start talking about offense, defense, because the talent advantage is going to be there for Ohio State. But if you play a clean game, if you don't just give the ball away, give away possessions, give away the field position, you're at least giving yourself a chance. Steven, what are your final thoughts here? Yeah, I, I, Pretty much agree with that. Don't help Ohio State do what it's already going to do to you anyway. I think the first 30 minutes of this game are going to be interesting. Is it, you know, 21 to 17 at halftime? Then this is going to be fun. This is going to be a, a pretty close game. And I think that that's a game where you start wondering, can Michigan State pull this out? But if it's 24 to 10 because Michigan State's done something to help Ohio State along the way, then you get a little nervous and thinking that Ohio, especially if Ohio State gets ball first to start the second half, then you get a little antsy of like, okay, is Ohio State getting ready to run away with this thing? And Matt, as you wrap up the Michigan State thoughts here, it, anything that happened in the Big Ten championship game in 13, anything that happened in 15 when Michigan State came in here and won, is that discussed? Is it stuff that Michigan State fans bring up? It obviously was a different head coach, but – I think you can see some similarities in in the style of how Michigan State goes about things. What are your final thoughts here? And does any of what happened in the past matter? Well, Mel Tucker will tell you repeatedly that he doesn't believe the past is indicative of the future. Um, That said, Luke Campbell, who's a six-year senior offensive lineman from just outside Columbus, who's never beat Ohio State, he actually apparently, uh, well, Monday, he spoke with the team after practice. He's been one of their leaders and was basically drilling him home how important this game is, obviously, and what it means and the legacy, the opportunity this has for him. And he apparently, according to Xavier Henderson, said he instructed the guys to go back and watch those 13 and 15 games to see what, you know, you know, some guys might have known about it, but he really wanted to go back and and watch them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I just think overall this is. If you'd have told me I'd be standing sitting here in the middle of November talking about playing Ohio State for first place in division, I I thought they'd be better this year. Obviously, I did not see this coming in a million years. Um, so it's a hell of an opportunity for Mel and, and the team to go down there with just the, with the chance to play for first place in the division and, and keep the uh, hopes alive to go, go to Indianapolis. So been a remarkable turnaround job so far and biggest challenge coming up Saturday. All right. Thanks to our listeners of Buckeye Talk. Thanks to the, our listeners of Spartan Confidential. You know, we're on the same company. That's why we're doing this. We got paid by the same big guy. I don't know if he sits in a throne in New Jersey and cuts our paychecks. I don't know. But we are part of a big family. And so when we have opportunities like this, we enjoy doing it. Thanks to everybody who's listening. Thanks to Nathan. Thanks to Stephen. Thanks to Matt. I'm Doug. And now back to your respective podcasts. All right. Thanks to Matt Wenzel for that. Let's make our picks here for Ohio State, Michigan State. The line is 19. Let's just talk about the line real quick. Steven, does 19 seem right? Does 19 seem high? Does 19 seem low? I feel like the lines with Ohio State have been kind of weird this year, which is why I have a terrible record. Like this, just, just evaluating this top 10 matchup, does 19 seem right? I would have said no with conviction had we not just watched what Ohio State did to Purdue last week. You know, I, I would have been shocked if it was anything over 10. And even that might have been high because you had no reason to still think that Ohio State's offense was going to be crazy, crazy good because it hadn't been for three weeks at that point. But after seeing that, the way th- people might be thinking about this game, I think 19 is perfect because 
it kind of mirrors the way I'm also thinking about this game. So yeah, 19 seems fair. Without getting, yeah, without getting too far into how I think they set betting lines, you know, people, I think Ohio State tends to get a lot of public money. And yep. then from the transitive theory, you've got, they just beat the team that beat Michigan State. So yeah. a big line on this makes some sense to me. Yeah. All right. So that is the line, 19. I will tell you that our textures are taking Michigan State. Michigan State plus 19 gets 55% of the vote from our textures. Ohio State minus 19 gets 45%. That that seems about right to me. I, I think people have some respect for Michigan State. I think some of the stuff in the back of their head about 2013 and 2015 affects this a little bit. I think a general knowledge of Mel Tucker probably affects a little bit, a little respect for Mel Tucker. And it's a top 10 matchup, which again, it's, it's hard in college football sometimes that how can it be a three score game, but it's a top 10 matchup. I 19 feels a little high to me. I, I really would be, I thought it should maybe be more like 16, but so that's why I understand where people are. Nathan, what is your pick for this game? I really don't know where I stand trying to pick state games this year. I've been pretty miserable at it. I feel like I had to kind of Costanza things this week, like come up with where I think I probably should go and then do the opposite. So after Ohio state covered last week, when I picked them not to cover, when I picked Purdue to beat the spread, even though I picked Ohio state to win, I'm going to kind of just double down on what I picked last week, just with a higher score. I'm going to take Ohio state 42 to 24. So that would be Michigan state with the points and under the point spread or under the over under. Okay, so Michigan State with the points and under the over-under, which is 68 and a half. So your total is 66. Correct. So that's MSU and under. Steven, what you got? Nathan and I have the same score for Michigan. 45 for 20 to 24 Ohio State wins. I'm a little over in both, basically. I, I just – I played it out in my head how I think the game's going to go, and that led me to my score. And the understanding that Michigan State is always a mistake away from this getting out of hand. That's just where this offense is. Is it, you, you can't not put up – even if you just get a field goal, you have to score points every time you get it, and they're always a mistake away. And I think that just might happen, especially if, like, Naylor's not playing. That's one less weapon Michigan State has at its disposal there. So I'm just assuming at some point Michigan State's going to make a mistake, and then that's when Ohio State runs away with it. 45-24 to 24 Ohio State wins. So that is Ohio State giving the points because you have Ohio yep. State winning by 21, and that is a half point over. Yes. 68 and a half. So you'll be sweating it out. Well, maybe, But maybe it'll get to a 69 total like in the middle of the third quarter and then nobody will score, but you already have the over. All right. So you're exactly opposite of Nathan. Nathan's got Michigan State with the points in the under. You have Ohio State giving the points in the over. And I'm going to split the difference. I've got – we're all in the same range. I have the same Ohio State score as Steven. I have 45-28. So I am taking the points with Michigan State because I've got Ohio State winning by 17, and I'm going a little more over than Steven is. My point total is 73. So we're terrible. Don't listen to us, but that's where we are. Um, The texters are taking Michigan State plus the points, and then over under, they're going over. Over the 68 and a half, 70%, excuse me, 69% going over. 31% 31% going under. So Steven and I are both over. Those are our picks. And I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. Good luck from Buckeye talk. Here's yeah. where we are. So last week, 
Nathan 0 for 2, Stephen 0 for 2. I was 1 for 1 because I had the over right. So the actual picks for the games this year, Nathan and Stephen are 3, 6, and 1. I am 2, 7, and 1. The over-unders, I am 4, 5, and 1. Stephen is 3, 6, and 1. And Nathan is 2, 7, and 1. So overall combined, our picks for the year, Stephen and I are 6, 12, and 2. Nathan is 5, 13, and 2. Stephen, we are setting people's money on fire. On fire. This is negligence. I think we, I'm not sure how podcasts work, but I think this could be some form of involuntary financial manslaughter that we would be on the hook for here if anybody wanted to file charges against us. As a millennial who does not like to take responsibility for anything, because that's what we like to do, I'm going to say that after hearing those records, if you were still listening to our advice on betting after week four, that's your fault. You need to you need you need to reevaluate your life because it's very clear that we don't know what we're talking about. And th- but this is like the year again, betting, it's not yet legal in Ohio. It's coming. I think it'll be yeah. legal by next year. And but it is legal in Indiana and West Virginia and Pennsylvania and all the states around Ohio. So we wanted to get more serious about this. Like it, we're, we're not we swear we are not just like picks, who cares, whatever. Like I think about it and it got worse. Nathan, is it our fault or is it the season's fault? Is it been a weird year of unexpected things happening or have we just somehow gotten on the wrong side every week where there's actually some logic to it and we're just backwards? You know, some of it is the season's fault because let's look at last week's game against Purdue, which ends up being a 28-point game, but you could argue that Purdue just gave Ohio State like – 17 points or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and that skews the final. So, I mean, Ohio State was going to win with a fairly comfortable cushion anyway, but that's how it becomes a cover. So I don't think that, you know, sometimes you can analyze a game the right way, but that doesn't mean it's going to turn out because you can't account for things like turnovers and and stuff, really. Those, some of those are are very unpredictable. So, um, but, but part of this also has just been this team. This team is very talented, but also started off obviously the year very young and especially from the defensive side of things, it's been a harder team to pin down exactly what's going to happen from game to game. And then for a couple of weeks there, obviously on the offensive side of the ball was also a little bit harder to pin down. So I don't know. I think part of it was just uh, kind of trying to figure this team out as it, as it evolved and we're 11 weeks in and that's still happening. I don't know if we'll ever really get a great finger on the pulse of, of how to bet this team. No, I agree because like I could see like the next couple games I I could see being weird still, right? Because it's all right. like, all right, well, Michigan, I'll, you know, when we get to the Michigan game, well, they can run the ball if they can like milk the clock and hold on to the ball, and then and Aiden Hutchinson like forces a fumble or whatever. Like you can see, but then it also could be like, oh no, no, like Michigan just like can't stop them. Like I like, and the same with Wisconsin. Hey, Wisconsin has. By almost every statistic measurement, if that ends up being the Big Ten championship game, Wisconsin has one of the two best defenses in the country. Okay, maybe this is a test. Oh, nope, nope. They just, they absolutely had no chance to hang with them. That I I don't know, both from an opponent perspective and an Ohio State perspective, like who has a chance to slow them down and who has no chance to slow them down. And when you're trying to make a pick, and again, we're trying to, 
like betting picks. We're not really predicting what you think they're going to win. Oh yeah. I mean, like you always I mean, probably Ohio state's going to win, but that's been hard. I'd like the Nebraska thing. Just when you think, no, no, like nobody's like, well, Nebraska did. It's like, well, I don't know. Like, what was that? So I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, I think, and, but, but one of the things that's weird about the season two is like the Nebraska game is arguably the only one since maybe Oregon that a team has really slowed them down because the Penn state game was just, they got in the red zone in a, in a fluky kind of way. The first time all season, they just had well, to settle for field goals instead of touchdowns. I mean, but Penn state also had like one of the five best red zone defenses in the country. So I, I would right, argue okay. that it's not exactly a fluke, but well, not, not a fluke, a fluke in terms of their season performance though, that they happened to be playing that team that was good at that. You know what I mean? Like most any other opponent, they probably would have just scored in the red zone more is what I'm saying. Like, so Nebraska is the only one that where I feel like the offense was really held down in in some kind of way. Nebraska and Oregon are the only people who did things that we weren't really expecting somebody to be able to do to Ohio state because to the point of, yes, it it can be fluky. Sure. But like, if if Penn state was going to stop Ohio state anywhere, it was going to be in the red zone. I don't know if we could have pointed to something where Oregon's going to stop Ohio state from doing this or Nebraska can stop somebody from doing this. But I also think that, in the name of transitive theory, this Michigan State team can give us a better view of what this Ohio State team really is because they can do a little bit of everything. With There's no, oh, they can pass it really well, but they can't run the ball. They're not the best pass defense in the country, but they've, they've got some talent there to make things at least interesting, even if these wide receivers <clears throat> still have their way with their, their, their defensive backs. So they're, they're well-rounded enough that as we look forward in Michigan and Wisconsin and going forward, we can have a better thought process of how to actually analyze this team. Cause this so, is the most complete team they're going to play. We asked this question before the Purdue game. And I said, which is the toughest game that left in the regular season, Purdue, Michigan state or Michigan. And everybody, the texters voted Michigan. Then I asked the question again, but this time I threw in Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Again, we're not saying Ohio State's guaranteed to get there, but it's an Ohio State podcast. And if they get there, it's going to be Minnesota, it's going to be Wisconsin. Which of these three would you consider the toughest game for Ohio State? Nathan, how would you vote? Is it this Michigan State game? Is it Michigan next week? Or would it be Wisconsin Big Ten championship game with another week of data that we have now? I would vote the Michigan game. Stephen, what would you vote? Michigan State. So I had voted Michigan State previously because I thought it was just like, again, what agreeing with what Steven said about that complete team. I, and, and then, again, whatever is in Michigan's head about Ohio State, I think it is holding Michigan back to some degree right now that Michigan has two things to overcome, which is the best offense in the country trying to stop them and getting out of their own heads while they're trying to do it. But this – the, the way the two guys on the Michigan defensive line are playing right now, Nathan, like I'm, I'm questioning that a little bit. I still would vote Michigan state, but I wonder if, cause I just saw like a, there's like a draft thing that I went nuts. Cause Garrett Wilson got projected to the Browns. And like, again, I'm going to talk about it for five months, but in that same thing, like Aiden Hutchinson was the number two pick and the other Michigan defensive mm-hmm. guy was like a top 20 pick. And it's like, Oh, so I have two top. I mean, like now we're talking about like, what are we talking about here? Right. Like, is that this is going to be something that I don't even know. And we'll get into this next week. It what it could Michigan have the best defensive line that Ohio State has faced since blank. Right. So that's interesting to me. I'll still vote Michigan State, mostly because of the Michigan intangibles. But the texters are saying Michigan. 
79% say it's Michigan, 11% say it's Michigan State, 9% say it's Wisconsin. And then also like the Wisconsin defense is not allowing offenses to do very much. They are not facing any offense close to Ohio State. But again, I don't know. So Nathan, we are in a really interesting stretch for the Buckeyes. I want to point one thing out that is the reason why I voted Michigan at the end of the day. And it's, we have talked about, and I think there's a general consensus that Michigan is a very one-dimensional team this year, or at least a team that is very limited from a passing standpoint. I had mentioned earlier this week, and Stephen just brought it up. When you look at just yardage allowed by Michigan State, you get the worst in the country. When you look within yards allowed per attempt, when you look at quarterback rating, it's almost identical to Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Michigan State stopped Michigan running the ball. Michigan didn't run the ball very well that game, but Michigan threw for 406 yards against Michigan State. I think Michigan can move the ball in both in the air and on the ground against Ohio State next week. I think people who are dismissing Michigan – as a being a more complete team than they are, are mistaken. I guess by that, you're saying you have faith that Cade McNamara can do that again. I haven't seen enough to believe that if you force Cade McNamara to sit back there and throw it that many times again, it's going to, he's going to repeat that performance. Well, I, I, first of all, again, until this game, don't know that Ohio state can stop Michigan's run game as well as Michigan state did. And I still have, I think we have reason to have lingering questions about whether Ohio State can stop the pass. I don't, I don't necessarily know that it's as much about Cade McNamara as it is about just what Ohio State is defensively. I think there's still questions to answer there. I will say it also has been interesting, and we don't want to do too much Michigan now because we're going to do a whole lot of Michigan next week. But Blake Corum was sort of like the first guy up in the Michigan running back rotation, and then he's been hurt, right? And Hassan Haskins has been getting a load the last couple of weeks. And like Hassan Haskins is better than Blake Corum. And I think he was better probably maybe the whole time. And you didn't know if it was like a secondary guy, but like the last couple of weeks, he was 31 for 156 against Penn state. He was 27 for 168 against Indiana 15, 14 for 59 against Michigan state, but 23 for 110 against Northwestern 21 for 123 against Nebraska. Like, I think he's kind of like a dude a little bit. Like I'm it's, it's like, this is not like dismissive of Kenneth Walker the third. I'm I'm slightly dismissive of Kenneth Walker the third as a Heisman candidate, it, but only because he's not Barry Sanders, right? But the whole Heisman level, I think, is down a step from normal this year. Are like, are we sure that Kenneth Walker the third is better than Hassan Haskins? Like, I, like I'm not sure, right? I mean, so like that's kind of where we are. But also, Michigan State does have better receivers because Michigan State or Michigan's best receiver, Ronnie Bell, has been out the whole year. They're not explosive on the outside. But Michigan has two first-round defensive linemen. So there's there's some good players. Again, it, it's we'll find out how good the teams are that Ohio State's playing these last couple of weeks. They're playing some good players. They've played – I actually think the Big Ten has some pretty good individual talent this year. When you think about Jahan Dotson – when you think about David Bell and George Karloftis, when you think about Kenneth Walker III, when you think about Aiden Hutchinson and Daxton Hill and John Ross and Hassan Haskins, and you think about those Wisconsin linebackers, right, Nathan? Like, it's, 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 it's interesting. That's not always the case. There's definitely some real dudes, and then it's, does a team have enough behind them for it to make a difference? Yeah. And again, as it relates to Ohio State, I, you know, they obviously did a very good job on David Bell. 
they, I think, did a pretty good job on Jahan Dotson, really. I mean, they they, they took him out for at least part of that game, and he wasn't like a, a factor in Penn State obviously winning that game because they didn't. But then at the same time, getting burned twice by the guy from Nebraska that is not talked about as like a future, you know, first round NFL kind of guy. Both things are true. And that's both things are what the Ohio State defense still is right now until it proves otherwise. Can I, can I ask this question, which has no answer right now, and we probably should look it up for next week. If we in 2019 had done a list of the 15 best players in the Big Ten, is it possible that like 10 of them would have been from Ohio State? And is it possible that if you did a list of uh, you did a list right now of the fifteen best players in the Big Ten that like three of them are Ohio State? Four would be from like you know what I mean? Like that's Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. a little bit what I'm talking about right now, right? That I'm not, and that's not a shot at Ohio State. It is a nod to the Big Ten, but it 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 factors into how I'm trying to think about this team in this season. But it, but we did kind of have this discussion before the year, and it's not necessarily so much the number of Ohio State players; it's where they are. It's right. it's receivers, offensive line, um, defensive tackle with Haskell Garrett was all we were looking at coming into the year, as opposed to defensive end, cornerback, J.K. Dobbins. Although Trayvon Henderson has taken that spot, it, it's it's some of it is distribution of talent on the field too, which is a good thing. It's why the Big Ten is in a situation where the one loss Big Ten champ is in. The playoff yes which has not been the case this is you know it, it, it yeah it's it's only weird because of the positions as nathan said but this is it should kind of be like this i don't know if it needs to every single year be 10 of the 15 best players need to be from ohio state because that's what it was for a decade and it didn't get ohio state anywhere i agree but if you are accustomed to evaluating ohio mm-hmm. state in the world where they mm-hmm. have 10 of the 15 best players in the conference I am not sure that's the case this year. And like, that's why I keep picking other teams to cover against Ohio <laughs> State, even though it hasn't happened. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's one of those things, even like, like Jojo Doman for Nebraska, who turned out to be the last game of his college career was like a very good player in that game. And, and like, I think you could argue if you said in the Ohio State Nebraska game, who is the best defensive player on the field? I guess it's a conversation between like Denzel Burke, Tyreek Smith and Jojo Doman. Right. But you could make a case. And if you would have had like a, in 2019, if you're like, Oh, who's the best defensive player on the field? It's like, have you seen Chase young? What are you talking about? Right. And that's, that's just kind of what we're talking about here. Or even like on oh, that 2019, it would have been who's the second best. Who's the third best. You're still talking about Ohio state players. You're yeah. still talking about, um, you know, Malik Harrison and um, Jeff, Jeff Okuda, Okuda and David Arnett, Arnett. David Arnett and Jordan yeah, I mean, Fuller and Jordan Fuller. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. there were some, I mean, you know, Wisconsin had its usual good defensive players. I remember Michigan state having some good defensive players that year, but no, it, it, it's, it's, it's fair. But then what threw this off again, to bring it back to the betting discussion, what threw this off was that four week stretch where Ohio state was just laying waste to people and obliterating people the way they had in 2019. Right. Okay. That's that. Next week, get geared up. We have our plan. We're going to do Monday Madness. That'll be out Monday morning. Sometimes Monday Madness doesn't get out till Monday afternoon, but that'll be out Monday morning. Then we will do the big pod that normally drops on Thursday will drop on Tuesday. And we're going to do two things on that pod. That one that we've talked about, one that we haven't, but that's okay. It's going to be very texture heavy. And we're going to go back to Mount Buckmore. And we're going to do two Mount Buckmores. We're going to do... The four 
Michigan people that Ohio State fans dislike the most, the greatest Michigan villains, like however you want to couch that. I'm curious where Jim Harbaugh fits into something like that, but that's like a Bo Schembechler discussion. That's a Tim Biakabatuka discussion. That's a Desmond Howard discussion, right? Like these guys that, oh, like drive Ohio State fans crazy. That when you think about the, the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, the guys that leap to mind that you sort of hate or love to hate. We're going to do that, Mount Buckmore, but I don't want to only make it like mean and miserable. So I also want to do the four best Ohio State Michigan games that people want to vote for. That'll be the other part of our Mount Buckmore. And again, I don't know. I mean, if somebody wants to make a case for some game in 1951, I get it. But, you know, it's probably things that you kind of remember. So we'll go into that and we'll talk like, what are what are your favorite Ohio State Michigan games? We'll make a Mount Buckmore of that. So we'll be a, dual, a double Mount Buckmore. We'll do like an hour on each. That'll be the Tuesday pod. The Wednesday pod reacting to everything that we hear from Ryan Day. The plan is to get Ryan Day and the captains next Tuesday. That'll be the Wednesday pod. And then our game preview pod next week will drop on Thursday. It'll drop on Thanksgiving morning, but then you'll have all day Thursday, all day Friday to listen to it. No pod on Friday. So that's the plan. I know sometimes like in your calendar, you guys use, do you guys use a calendar where you write things down or do you just like put things in your phone? Like a Both. digital person. Both. Both. Cause I do think, I'm a firm believer in sometimes you have to write things down on paper to remember to do it. But also you need reminders in your phone to remember to do it. Yeah. The the very handy thing is when you schedule like a a meeting with your boss or whatever, and now it pretty much automatically gives you that reminder, but sometimes you need more than that 15 minute default. (laughs) Like you've got to change that thing to like one hour, two hours. Is there been plenty of times where I'm like, you get that reminder, like 15 minutes, it's the monthly Ohio state uh, yes. sports team call. And you're like, Oh no, <laughs> no, you I need to know. I'm, I'm like climbing I, Mount Fuji or whatever. And I'm not, I need but, to know it's happening the day before. Cause if I find out 15 minutes, I'm just like, I was not prepared for this to happen today. Okay. We know that this is mostly a showering discussion. This is the, I need an hour shower before meeting discussion because it might Next. be on video. That's a fact. Yeah. So uh, I, I do both. I have my planner, my big planner. It's like my favorite Christmas gift every year. I get a different color uh, cover for it. It's like a moleskin thing. I, I freaking love it. And then it's like my diary also. I sort of write down like what happened during the year, but I keep track of everything in there. But also I like little reminders. I'll always remember my sister several years ago. She had her cell phone and then she had all these post-it notes like attached to her cell phone, like of scheduled things that she has to do. And this is like, this is technology to me. It's like, I carry this digital thing around so I can stick notes to it. So we're all both. I thought maybe I'd be the only one. I thought, Stephen, it makes me feel good that you still write stuff down. I don't know no. what the what the young people are doing. It's something, some traditions don't need to change. Like you have a planner. My mom gets me this calendar every single year. It's got like a weekly Bible verse on it. And it's just like filled with like different colors of ink for different things in my life. But yeah, no. I need to see that things need, I have yeah. things to do with my life or I'll just do nothing and be lazy and play video right. games. Well, I feel, I feel you gotta know yourself. Oh, I feel great about this. I feel yeah. like this is a texter question. Do you write stuff down? Or you just have it in your phone. But first we'll talk about Ohio state playing three <laughs> straight top 10 teams. You know what? Maybe, well, maybe we'll, we'll throw in an, a bonus. Do you use a planner Buckeye talk next Friday? We'll just jam that right in between the game preview and the greatest rivalry in sport. Let me write that down. (laughs) (laughs) 
What color ink is that? Oh, <laughs> invisible ink. Three, three hour pod day after Thanksgiving about planning stuff. All right. Thanks to you guys for making Buckeye Talk part of your week. We'll catch you after the game. Post game pod Saturday. The three of us will be there in Ohio Stadium for that noon kickoff senior day. Ohio State versus Michigan State. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>